so bugging out was like really cool and I was interested in it, but it, like it wasn't a big thing. Right. And and now that I have a family, it's like, okay, bugging out sounds like a stupid idea. We're just right. gonna bug in. Right. But then, and this kind of goes back to circumstance being the greatest teacher, then you watch on the news something like the Ohio train wreck. And the vast oh. majority of people there probably were not thinking about bugging out. You look at something like that, yep. some some black swan event, if you want to call it, completely out of left field. Right. And all of a sudden, people who were able to bug out to another area that had clean drinking water and air that wasn't gonna you know, cause you to form tumors right. in your lungs, yep. it becomes a thing. Yep. So yeah, it's really interesting that back and forth, you can't do one or the other. You almost have to have plans for both. Right. Hello and welcome to the Dirty Civilian Podcast. Today, Drew and Josh sit down and discuss how we found the firearms industry, or maybe more like how it found us, and then the transition from just being obsessed with the guns themselves. All I need is a gun, those things are so cool and I want a bunch of them, to where we're at today, which is more like, man, I need to be self-sufficient, and there's a lot more going on than just owning the firearm. We have a lot of laughs and share a bunch of good personal stories. We know you guys are going to enjoy this one. It was, it was really fun to record, but before we get going, we have to thank our sponsor of the channel and this episode, which is Patreon. Gear, training, and how to assess uh, where to put more of your time and finances. We're, going, we're really going to hit on that, but first, do you want to play Two Truths and a Lie, or do you want to play Hot or Not, where you say one, and, mm. then, I, and then I answer, and then I say one, and then you answer? You mm. pick. Hot or not, just for like a couple of rounds. Okay, a couple of rounds. Yeah, I'll uh, let you go first. Um, I wasn't ready. Uh, <laughs> he wasn't ready. <laughs> hot or not, Safari Land holsters. Ooh, oh man. It depends on the holster. It's interesting that you're hesitating. Agreed. Okay, so what Agreed. series of holsters are we talking about? Well, okay, so let's say that uh, someone who knows nothing about holsters or guns is going to pick one out on their website, and you know how their <laughs> website is, and they're going to have to pick, and then you have to run it for, uh, it could be really good, it could be really bad. Yeah, I'm going to say not, because, now granted, their website right now is still leaps and bounds better than it was even a year ago. Absolutely. And yet it's still Difficult a to nightmare. navigate, yeah. Yeah, so that's just one of the problems of having so many SKUs, but uh, I think Safari Land holsters, especially the 6000 series, hot. 7000 series, not. Uh, all the other holsters they make, not. Okay. Armor options and things like that and riot shields and ballistic shields, yeah. hot. Yeah, I keep forgetting they do stuff beyond holsters. Yeah, I think they're fit, they're 52 companies under the Safari Land <laughs> oh, umbrella. Jeez, dude. Yeah, like... Uh, Whoa. Uh, yeah, like TCI, I think TCI. Hatch gloves. Yeah. Um, so par overall, armor. Yeah. hot. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. You go. Um, Cause I already have my other one. John Wick's guns. Oh man. A lot of people are, are probably going to be surprised. I'm delaying on this. I'm going to say not because okay. they look really cool for movies mm -hmm. and they're, they catch the eye I think for people coming over from video games. Sure. And it's awesome for Hollywood. And I appreciate that he has like good hand gun handling skills and he can reload a gun and they actually have him reload a gun and guns have malfunctions and he has to transition. Mm -hmm. That's cool. But I don't necessarily come from the, like I just played, uh, what's Doom? where like all the guns look super crazy and yeah. like alien guns, mm -hmm. and then you switch over to John Wick. Not really my style. I want to see 13 hours Ooh. kind of guns. Yeah. Like I want to see like, what are people using for real, for real these days? That's yeah. what gets me. So John Wick guns, not, unfortunately. I'm gonna say not, but for a different reason. Oh, go ahead. Terran. That's fair. <laughs> They're all Terran tactical. Yeah, those guns are so, precious. Yeah, yeah, like, don't get me wrong. Those guns are actually probably pretty good. Sure. However. it's a good point. It's like. Cringe. It's cringe. Yeah. It's absolutely. cringe. Unfortunately. But, you know, I think I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, well, John Wick is reaching some people. Absolutely. So it's getting them interested in guns. Yep. Um, 
center axis relock. Yeah. Hot or not? No, no, no. I, I get to go next. Oh, okay. You just did one. All right. Uh, Hollow Sun products. <sighs> oh, you are man. Dude, you are cruising through that coffee. You're going to need to top off. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say hot. Yeah. And now, no, a lot of people are going to get super mad, like, you know, ting pong tao. Sure. Like, yeah, they're, they're Chineseium. I get it. But they're well-made. Do they copy other people? Sure. Yeah. yeah. All the best artists do. Mm. And um, they're effective. Right. Uh, the only thing that I have bad to say about Hollow Sun products is they're made in China. Well, and beyond that, like they're everything owned, else, they're owned by a Chinese company. Exactly, that's the kicker. Exactly. Yeah. But do I use Holosuns? Yeah, yeah. I use Holosuns. Nice. I've purchased them. Right. So yeah. Okay. What was my question to you? Center axis relock. Yeah, center axis relock. What is that? I think that's what they call it. No, I think no, no, that's no. the. What is what is center axis relock? It's a it's a style of shooting. Like, oh, like from like center mass. Yeah, so it's like you're center you're wrapping axis. your 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 hand oh. around your palm and you're 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 using yeah you're basically keeping the sights to your eyes like this. It's a thing. <laughs> I don't know where it originated from. Hard not. Yeah. Hard no. Yeah. Same. Yeah, I'll pass. Same. All right. Uh, two truths and a lie. Oh oh gosh. Um, I love my app PLC. Um, you should spray paint rifles and multicam is my favorite camo. Just being that there's variations of it. So you can do multicam arid, multicam tropic, mm -hmm. um, just flat out multicam. Which one's a lie? <laughs> you do not love your at PLC. That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> Who does? <laughs> Dude, airsoft. The worst bang for your buck out there. Airsoft lasers that mimic those. Going back to, you know, all the, all the best artists copy someone else who does it. Mm -hmm. uh, those airsoft lasers are putting out better illuminator and laser combinations for like a third of the price. Yeah. Yeah. Not sure if they hold zero, but we'll probably know within a year. Yep. As more people run them. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. Two, oh, you two, two truths and a lie. Two truths and a lie. Um, I've broken every single finger at least twice, including thumbs. <laughs> okay. I've had loaded weapons pointed directly in my face. Okay. And... Uh, I have a pigeon toe. Like I have a, one of my legs is oh my pigeon toe. Gosh. Well, let's uh, let's start to uh, eliminate some of these. I know that you have foot problems. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> and then, so we're gonna say yes to that. That one's true. I have seen loaded guns be pointed at your face more than once. Oh, I forgot you have. Yeah. You? So I would say that you have not broken every finger, at least twice. I think I messed the game up. Those are all true. <laughs> I messed it up. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I, okay. Well, anyways. Okay. That's yeah. all good. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we had, we had an idea for this podcast mm -hmm. already set up and then, uh, we had some interesting comments pop up on both Instagram and YouTube, probably because we're covering such a variety of topics. We've already hit on, um, tactical homesteading, how to feed livestock and animals and such, which is wild and awesome. Uh, transportation, as in dirt bikes. Gun content, how to We have not posted that yet, have we? No, we haven't. Okay, we have not, then never mind. We have not done that yet. We'll bleep it out. Sure. Um, but people who know a lot about one of those topics, and you could have a dirt bike guy. Granted, typically those guys are pretty rad. You could have a dirt bike guy hop in and be like, yeah, this is all basic information. I know this stuff already. Or more commonly, gun guys jump in and say, yeah, we all know how to reload a gun. This isn't new information. Mm. What are you guys doing with that stuff? Mm -hmm. And that kind of sparked the need to, yeah, we had this idea for the podcast. Let's start talking about training and gear purchases and where to invest your time inside of that cycle. Um, but let's start with that point. What are your thoughts on People jumping in and, and just saying, well, yeah, but this, is, this isn't this is new information. Yeah. Uh, my thought number one, you know, being a marketing guy is, you know, thanks for uh, 
thanks for the engagement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bump those numbers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But my other thought is, um, and I've been guilty of this too, you know, you see something online and to you it's common sense. Sure. And it's being, it's being demonstrated or presented in a way that's, you know, high production value. It's, it's not necessarily serious in terms of its tone, but someone's like trying to, you know, someone's trying on camera. Um, and, I, and I think even my knee-jerk reaction is just like, okay, you, people have already heard this before. You're just trying to capitalize on it. You're just trying to like make it sound fancy or whatever. But the reality is, is that um, it hasn't all, like whatever that thing is, was not always common sense for you. Sure. There was a point in time in your life where you did not know that information yet. And so if other people uh, had, you know, tried to like crush the information before you ever saw it, well, you may not have ever learned it. Right. And so um, I think it's really easy to want to jump into a comment section and, been, and be like, oh, well, yeah, I already know this. This is nothing new. This is no nothing revolutionary. And it's like, yeah, you're right. It's, it's not. Um, but it took you 28 years to figure it out. Sure. Like you were 28 years old when you heard this for the first time yeah. and then you understood it. Yep. Uh, and that's just an example. You could have been 30. You could have been 18, whatever it is. Right. There was a period of time where you didn't know it and then you got it. And to hop in and, you know, kind, kind of just be negative for no reason because you already know that thing, it assumes that everyone in the world that is on the internet knows everything. Alre already knows everything you know. Right. Or knew it before you. Oh, that's a good point. It completely, it completely ignores the fact that there are yeah tens, hundreds of thousands of people who have still never heard it yet. Yep. And this is a, a really important thing to think about as far as gun culture is concerned because the number of gun owners and the number of people wanting to take their personal security seriously over the past few years has skyrocketed. Yeah. Like we're looking at the next 10 years. The next 10 years of people online, uh, at least gun owners online, are going to be figuring things out for the first time. Right. Yep. And discovering that there is a gun community online as a whole because it's been suppressed so much. There's a ton of people who just bought an AR, uh, a Glock 19, uh, an 870, whatever they purchased, and they're just now figuring out, oh my gosh, there's people that are sharing this information freely um, at a high level. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily have to go pay for a class for every piece of information that I'm looking for. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes they don't even know what they don't know. They don't right. know what to go yeah, and look for. Of course. You know, they may see a video of someone shooting with a plate carrier on and want to get a plate carrier, but they don't even think to Google, how do I wear one? How should I set one up? Right. What should the plates be covering? And if we were to make a plate carrier fitment video that's 60 seconds on Instagram, 99% yeah. of our followers probably already know that stuff, right. but it's not for them. Right. It's for all the new people. Exactly. And even if the new people is only, you know, 1% of the audience, it's still, we have to reach them. Yes. Yes. That's, that's the mindset. Right. Yep. That's the rationale rather. And we can't do it alone because yep. really if we post a YouTube video and no one sees it, comments, likes, subscribes, or shares it, whether they share it online or word of mouth, mm -hmm that content is not, it's not reaching people. So it really does take being negative and commenting. Thanks, man, you're bumping those analytics. That does help, <laughs> sure, right? Sure. But on the other end, it's like, ah, come on. There are people who don't know this. And another point that's worth mentioning is the guy who watched a homesteading video that's 16, that has been living on a farm or working on a farm for years, may already know, yeah, I know exactly how to take care of goat's hooves. I can do it without nods. I can do it in the dark. I can do it just by feel. Yeah. I know what they need to eat and actually here are some extra tips that they can give because they are professionals in that space. But they have never thought about the fact that zeroing your rifle at a certain distance will result in different distances impact mm -hmm. at 300 yards versus 200 yards versus 100 yards. Holding under at 100 yards when you zeroed at 50 
that, that concept is so simple if you know what you're doing and you've learned about it for years already. Yeah, you know, that, that brings up a really good point. So, and this kind of goes back to our strategy right. with our DC productions. So take the uh, why you need a weapon mounted light video. Yeah. We knew that was not gonna be a huge video no. because, um, and we knew it was not gonna be a revolutionary video. Um, that's why we chose to approach it from here's how you convince your friends and family that don't believe. Yes. But the purpose of things like that is not necessarily to educate a ton of people. That's meant to be a gateway uh, for people who come there for the homesteading stuff right. or the dirt bike stuff. Right. And because of what they saw in the dirt bike video or because of what they saw in the homesteading video, they're going to click on the rest of our content. Yeah. You know, they may see me milking goats and, you know, already know how to do all that, but they're like, oh, that's like, that's really cool. This is, yep. uh, this is really funny. It was entertaining. We had a ton of comments like that. Like, hey, this is probably the funnest and one of the most informative homesteading videos. Like, no one's yeah. making homesteading videos like this. No way. Um, uh, there's plenty of people making homesteading videos that are just like 100% pure facts, no production value, just raw, gritty. And those are great. I love those. That's what I watch to learn how to do a lot of the stuff. And those are some of the videos we showcase on our resource page. But to the person who goes there, watches it, is like absorbed into it and immersed in it. And then at the end of the video, a three reasons you need a weapon light pops up. Okay, I'm going to see what else these guys are saying. Right. And then all of a sudden we're bringing this, uh, these different communities into more of like the gun community, if you want to call it that. Yeah. And there's so. multiple ways to do that. Guys like Demolition Ranch yep. have done it all around guns, shooting, putting uh, tacks into a shotgun shell and shooting that at a pumpkin to see what it's going to do. That does get clicks. Yeah. And that, that captivates people who have not been interested in guns initially. But the next video that he does is talking about how pistol braces are dumb and everyone should have autos and uh, you should buy a suppressor, a night vision, and a super rad. Mm -hmm. We're approaching it from, well, we may not be modifying shotgun shells, because I don't trust myself to do that, <laughs> but we are gonna talk about homesteading, uh, water purification, transportation, and a ton of other content that we already have scheduled, and then sprinkle in some of those other concepts to bring people into the firearms world. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's really funny is that one of the, when I first started watching YouTube gun stuff, uh, it was because something popped up on, on the feed that was uh, how to carry an LBL, which for those of you who are listening, LBL is land between the lakes. It's a massive, oh, yeah. like uh, it's a massive, I don't want to call it a wildlife preserve. It's not a wildlife preserve, but it's, it's just a park. Yeah. It's just a massive park in Western Kentucky. And um, it's great for hiking trails is, you know, a, has a lake on it and everything. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting because I was wanting to start. I was wanting to start concealed carrying more, and I went to LBL all the time. And the video that it that showed that was um, what's his name, uh, James Yeager, oh, and he right. showed how to conceal a folded uh, AK in wow. a bag and carry through LBL. Wow! And that was one of the first videos that I watched that got me into watching a ton of gun videos on YouTube, yeah. and like, here we are now. Yeah. So all these little things, all these different ways that we can, um, uh, I guess, kind of reach different, reach people who are looking for something a little bit different, yeah. it ends up pulling them into this same lifestyle. Right. Well, the point that you just made is perfect. It, it feeds us into the topic of there's so many people that just purchased their first gun. Or back in 2020, they purchased their first gun and they've done nothing with it since mm -hmm. they made their first purchase. Yeah. And there are people like myself who are, are, I had a fascination with guns before I owned a firearm at all. And there are other people who grew up hunting, hiking, and then over time they were like, yeah, this bolt action 30-06 is cool. Talk to me about AR-15s and they fell into that, uh, that level of gun ownership. Where were you... I guess to start, how were guns introduced to you? And, and then how did you feed into training? Not just, I'm going to go shoot a deer, but like, I want to be good with this stuff. I want to carry a gun and be proficient with it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 
entertainment was a big part of it mm. growing up. It was James Bond. Yeah. You know, if people have listened to me on other podcasts, they've heard the story of whenever I was born, I was handed off to dad in the waiting room, or maybe it was the same room, sure. the delivery room, but the man with the golden gun was playing on TV. Mm. So obviously I don't remember that, but you know, James Bond movies, entertainment, G.I. Joe's, all that stuff was like the thing right. whenever I was growing up. And then, uh, you know, at a certain point I would go hunting with dad and we would hunt a ton. And then I saw him carrying a gun on his hip all the time. Mm. And I think it was just kind of one of those caught, not taught moments sure. for me. Um, so yeah, what, what about you? Well, so I knew that there were guns in the house uh -huh. very early on. But there were more collector's pieces, items that grandpa had passed down, family heirlooms, that kind of stuff. And I never personally had that fascination until I was playing video games one day. A little light bulb went off in my head and I was like, dad has guns. I know that. I'm going to push pause on uh, the big red one and go talk to my dad about this stuff. And he handled it perfectly. He was like, heck yeah, let's go open the safe walk through that kind of stuff and from there my fascination just grew I kept running into more people and all I ever wanted to talk about was yeah man guns are really cool right I, that's all I cared about mm -hmm. in video games in movies it wasn't about the storyline it was about what gun is that and it it just kind of grew from there yeah so where in your where in your series of oh caught not taught this is something that I want to be interested in at what point, how old were you when you clicked on that James Yeager video and you were like, oh, carrying a rifle in a bag, that's an interesting idea. I was probably 23. Were you, had you been like concealed carrying by then already? Yeah. So whenever I turned 21, uh, my parents bought me a, uh, um, an MP. Okay. And a Phobos OWB oh, holster. Yes. Yeah. And it was, it was one of those super crappy, like at the time holsters like there was nothing there was nothing about yeah. holsters online basically right. yep. um but it was a uh it wasn't even like a top draw typical holster it was a button on the side you'd flip the button over and then you draw out the front whoa and it was like you know when i got that i was like oh this is the sickest thing in the world yeah. but you know looking back probably one of the worst holsters you could ever have next to like an uncle mike's or something sure. right so, um, yeah, I was probably, I was probably 22, 23. Okay. Um, and I remember because we had just had an ice storm. Oh, this is actually going to segue great into something we're probably going to talk about later, but there had just been an ice storm in this town where I was living in at the time hmm. and everything was shut down. Uh, I had a super crappy car at the time. There's no way it was going to like handle well on the roads. Yep. And, uh, I was out of coffee. And so I was like, oh, I can just walk, you know, six blocks and go get some coffee at McDonald's, which will surely sure. be open because sure. it's McDonald's. I mean, of course. Come on. So, um, uh, yeah, I remember putting on that gun and that holster and walking, I don't know, four miles down to the, uh, <laughs> down to the, the McDonald's. And once I got there, before I walked in, I was like, what do I do? I feel awkward. You know, I was like, I feel I didn't even know what a FUD was at the time, sure. but I just felt like something was wrong. Mm. Here I was in this like somewhat liberal town. I've got a gun on my hip, yep. had a shemog around my neck as a scarf, and I'm getting ready to walk into a McDonald's. I just felt awkward, yeah. like, right? Do you like, have one in the pipe? Were you hot? I don't think I was. Okay, yeah. I could be wrong. Sure. I, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think I was. Okay, you weren't there yet. No. Um, I could have been, honestly, just don't remember. Sure. Um, and so I just remembered like taking my coat and trying to like keep it over the gun and feeling super awkward the whole time I was in there, feeling sure. like everyone was looking at me. There were like two people in there. No one cared. Yeah. And I remember it was like after that, I started, you know, Googling stuff and looking stuff up. And mm. I think I got an alien gear after that. Nice. Which at the time, alien gear was like huge. The, the you know, the sticky, big, wide piece of Kydex and, and like rubber or whatever they yeah, were. Yeah. It was like, it was like leather with Kydex on top of it. Yeah. And if you bought a new gun, you could send in the old Kydex shell and they'd place it for free huh. that's molded to your new gun nice. and so you know people can knock on those holsters all they want i get it they're not tip of the spear anymore but they are a gateway right so and they were better than a phobos holster that's for sure so yeah, yeah. What, what clicked for you 
Oh man. Um, well, it's kind of funny. I started dating a girl <laughs> who I'm now married to. Yeah. And uh, her dad was kind enough to just, after some years, like walk me through um, some gun stuff. And it got to the point where, you know, we had been dating for probably three years or two years or something. And um, he was going to take his daughter shooting. And she was like, well, yeah, can Josh come? So we went shooting. And man, I it was the first time shooting something other than like a pump action 22. Mm-hmm. An AR-15. And it had iron sights. It didn't have a light on it. It was very basic, like a Colt 6920. But I couldn't think about anything else. Mm-hmm. It's all I cared about. You caught the bug. Yeah, I would go over there. And I, I, w- I mean, I cared about my girlfriend at the time, but it was like, I want to talk to my girlfriend's dad about gun stuff. Yeah. You know, spend hours just at the kitchen table asking questions. How does this thing work? And um, over time, I, I hopped on Instagram and figured out there's a gun culture here. And that's where it all kind of blew up for me. Gotcha. Do you refer to her as your ex-girlfriend? My wife. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought about it that way. I knew this, yeah, I knew this guy that inter- used to introduce his wife as his first wife. And uh, it just it would always throw people off and be like, oh, this is, uh, I think her name is Patty or something. Like, this is Patty, <laughs> my first wife. And people would be like, oh, okay. As if they weren't married anymore. Yeah, but... exactly. Or as if he was like they were going to get a divorce or something like that. But like, no, they're happy, happily married for like 45 years. Oh, my still gosh. Her that is awesome. In, yeah, so that's how you should just refer to I Jenna should. from here yeah. on out. Like, or my ex-girlfriend. You know, my ex-girlfriend, who was also my first wife, she, <laughs> that's how you should do it. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, what, what were we talking about? Oh, okay. Okay. So um, somewhere in that transition, you had to start deciding the difference between putting time and finances into items, mm-hmm. holsters, more guns, more ammo, lights versus training. Where in that transition were you like, you know what? Stuff is cool. I want to get good with this. Yeah. Uh, it was probably at the point where I had accumulated quite a few guns and I wasn't getting any better with them. And so I'd go out and I'd try and do things. I'd try and shoot things or shoot drills and I was not having fun because right. I was failing miserable. No one has fun when they suck at something. Right. And I wanted to have fun. That's why like, I know people don't like to say you know, the F word, the fun word whenever it comes to training, but it's like... It should be a blast. It should, it, yeah, it, yeah. It's not always. Sometimes it is work. Of course. But if that, if that, um, if you don't have that base enjoyment, it's going to be really hard to like get anything out of it. Right. Um, you know, you can liken that to just about anything. Do you ever play tennis? Sure. Yeah. Do you suck at it? Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to just like smash a ball and have it go flying everywhere. But if you're actually trying to play a game. You know, you get to a point where it's like, oh, this is miserable because I'm not good. I've seen it on TV. I know what it should look like. I know what it should feel like, but I can't actually perform it. Right. I'm just frustrated. So it was, it was the same thing with guns and shooting. It's like, I wanted to be able to do these things. I saw in the movies or I saw in videos and it's like, I can't do this. I'm going to start buying a ton of ammo, which is cheap at the time. Sure. And I'm just going to, you know, not accuracy by volume, but I'm just going to get thousands and thousands and thousands of reps and I think through that I'll get so comfortable with the gun that I'll learn how to uh, bend it to my will yep and that's what I did yep so that's really where the shift was for me yeah I went well I went through that phase what's that thing called where you uh you get a little bit better and you think you know everything Mm -hmm. right away because I knew right when I first acquired a rifle and a pistol I want to be proficient with these probably because right as I was acquiring those, Instagram was blowing up. I was watching people dry fire on Instagram lives or Periscope lives. It's funny, at the time I was probably watching you a bunch, watching you shoot really well. I'm so sorry. No, I shot better back then than I do now. That's true, yeah. (laughs) It got me. But I knew that I wanted to be good and I went through that phase. There's a term for it where uh, you learn just a little bit and you think you know everything. Mm. You think you're really good. Mm-hmm. And I was better than the people who I was shooting with around at the time. Other buddies, we all sucked. Yeah. And then I realized I don't know anything. And it was crushing. It yeah. was brutal to go through that. Oh, I got a shot timer. I'm not as nearly as fast as I thought. Mm-hmm. But it absolutely sparked in me. Actually, dude, this is, okay, uh, change of topic. 
you probably know where I'm going with this. Shot timer. I remember, oh, okay. I remember working at a restaurant and I was bussing tables and I got an Instagram DM from you <laughs> and you were like, hey, what's your phone number? I'm what year was you. this? 20... 2016? Oh no, it would have been 2014, 2015. Wow. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, you called me and you were like, I want to send you a shot timer. I love what you're doing. You... <laughs> Gracefully, you were like, you got a lot of work to do, but I'm going to send you a shot timer. I still have that shot timer, but that was one of those moments that was like, I'm very thankful for that shot timer. And it brought me back down to a level where it was uh, a realization that I got a lot of work to do. And I loved the process. I loved dry firing and shooting and thinking about drills and designing drills and going out and trying to get better. Um, See, back then I was just grooming you. Yeah, here like we are. Yeah, you had this all planned out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Mastermind, dude. I'm going to get Josh in on this DC thing, and he's going to be one of the main camera guys. And like, yeah, that's... Evil James Bond yeah. uh, playing the long game. Yeah, years <laughs> yeah. and years later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, a part of that, though, is the gear. And it's so easy. We're guys. We love stuff. Mm -hmm. But it quickly becomes, I'm going to buy a shot timer, and the shot timer is going to fix me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to buy, I'm going to upgrade to a better holster and that's going to get my draw a lot smoother. I'm going to buy a better plate carrier or an optic for my rifle and that's just going to fix it all. Do you feel like you reached a point or have you reached this point yet? Because mm -hmm. I'm still struggling through that myself where you purchased something or some things and you came to the conclusion, yeah, I still suck. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, what was it? The big thing in like 2015, 2016, threaded barrels. Oh, sure. They're going to make me so much more accurate yeah. and like it's it's going to fix everything. Right. Yeah, I didn't do anything. Right. But I will say there is a certain level of confidence that you get when you are using a tool that you want to use. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have this third person perspective looking back at yourself and you like what you see. Right. There is a level of like, confidence that you get from that that can keep you going forward so there's a little bit of value and sure. yeah get the thing get right. the thing you're going to find it doesn't make you better but that's also in a way making you better because you're 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 realizing you're coming face to face with your own inadequacy right and you realize this thing doesn't fix it well I, that sparked in me uh a perfect um analogy so when i first got a uh a red dot on my pistol, Yeah, I knew that I was going to like the look of the gun better. Mm -hmm. I also had been told by a lot of people, you're going to have to put a lot of work in. So before I purchased it, I already had come to the conclusion, this is going to be a lot of work. And I knew that going in. Got the slide milled, put an RMR on there, started training with it. And I was prepped ahead of time that I was going to have to practice a lot. And I was okay with that. Mm -hmm. And so buying the item did force me to have to get better. Got a plate carrier for the first time. And before it showed up, real plates came in. I had already decided as I was hitting that checkout button, I'm going to start running with a plate carrier and it's going to suck. It's going to be harder, yeah. but I want to do that. And I want to have time with it. And buying the item then pushed me into, this is still fun and I need to spend more time to get better with this thing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my first red dot. <laughs> What, what was I bought it because the big thing at the time on Instagram was this is like cheating. Oh, right. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. I'm cranking off 100, 150 yard shots with stock Glock irons right. out of a Glock 43, no less. Sure. You remember all those I old, do. like splitting playing cards at 30 meters, yep. 40 meters. And I'm just like, okay, so this is cheating. All right, here we go. And I got that red dot and I sucked <laughs> my everything. Like I could not do anything yeah. well. And I remember I was like, okay, I came face to face with the fact that either there's something I'm doing wrong in my shooting fundamentals, or I'm just so used to seeing iron sights that I can't, just this subtle adjustment is something I'm gonna have to like really practice for, Yeah. right? So um, the decision I had to make was, okay, do I have the time to invest in dry firing and getting my red dot skill set up to par with my uh, with my iron sight shooting. Right. 
And after like two months, I was like, I don't have time to not be, I don't have the luxury of not putting my best foot forward in terms of the gun that I'm carrying. Yeah. So what I did was I took the dot off, continued carrying irons for a year because I knew I could, could perform well with it. Smart. And then in my other time, I would practice with the red dot. Yeah. And it wasn't probably until a year and a half after I bought the red dot mm. that I actually transitioned to the red dot. Gotcha. So would you like dry fire with it and shoot with it and train with it? And then once you hit that point where you're like, now I am better with this tool, I'm willing to incorporate it into carrying every day. Yep. I think it actually took me getting the SRO also. Ah, uh, sure. It took me getting the SRO, yep. which is easier yeah. uh, to get your, you know, your sight picture and to actually pick up that dot. And because it was easier than an RMR, mm -hmm. I was able to kind of like get up on that skill set sure. and then hone down to where like the RMR is no problem. Sure. Not sense. everyone's like that. That's just how I did it. Yeah. Well, okay. So a lot of people on the internet will, they would like to say that everyone should follow the same path. You need to shoot uh, irons on your rifle first. And then a lot of people are saying you should probably shoot a red dot on your pistol first. You should shoot with a muzzle brake or a flash hider first. You need to have a 16 inch uh, barrel on your rifle before you have a shorter barrel on your rifle. Do you feel like everyone needs to follow the same path? Like, would it simplify everyone's learning curve? I mean, everyone learns different. So, I mean, there's certain things that are, you know, good practices, but no, I mean, I don't think everyone should do the same thing. Yeah. You should figure it out for yourself. Because at some point, People have, depending on where they live, very different needs, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And that also gets to the point where someone lives somewhere different and they have different concerns or threats. Mm -hmm. So when I was living in Portland, Oregon, my biggest concern really was not natural disasters. Everyone likes to talk about a, uh, a huge earthquake that's going to happen and, you know, half of the West Coast, half of the states from Washington to Oregon to California, it's all just going to fall off into the ocean. Maybe, maybe one day tectonic yeah. plates are going to have to shift, but we didn't have tornadoes or flash floods. It really didn't, when it, you know, snow came, it was uh, an eighth of an inch for a day and the entire city shut down. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we really didn't have any of those concerns. And then now out here in Tennessee, um, we do have some of those concerns like tornadoes and high winds and, and humid summers and freezing cold winters and such. But I don't have the Antifa concerns. I don't have the, the concerns about people wanting to throw a brick through your family room window because you have an American flag hanging out yeah. on your front porch. And my concerns have shifted a little bit more to, oh crap, I don't have a good fuel or food or water security contingency plan in place. So were you, when you first fell into the gun world, mm -hmm. did you have some personal preparedness in the back of your mind already? Yeah. So that was actually, I was more interested in that. I was interested in that stuff long before I was interested in guns as we see them now. Okay. Like, yeah, I've always been into guns. Another Another defining moment was when the first Matrix movie came out. Okay. That was whenever I got deep into the intricacies of the guns. Like, oh, those were Berettas. Oh, those are Uzis. And like, oh, that's that's an M16 or that's an M4. Like, that's a Desert Eagle. I mean, that's where I started getting into the, okay, what is that exactly? Dude, Does that make sense? Keanu Reeves has apparently done a lot for the gun culture through his movies. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyways, what was the question? I don't remember. Oh, uh, talking about prepping. Right. Where did that hit you? Yeah. So uh, I think it's just part of growing up in the middle of nowhere. Gotcha. Um, you know, 15 minutes outside of civilization. And even that civilization is the middle of nowhere. Right. So that just kind of was a thing that I guess was just kind of like a way of life for us. You know, we would have to, we didn't, didn't have city water. We had a well. So we would have to rely on rainwater and uh, we'd have to call people to haul water out to us and dump it into our cistern. And wow. uh, at a certain point, that person got old and kind of decrepit and huh. we couldn't always rely on them. So my dad bought a massive water tank. We'd go into town, load up on water in the back of my dad's truck, haul it back out to the house, run a pipe to our well, dump it in the well. So it was just like, 
there's always kind of been like that element. Um, but I think the part, there was a point in time where it really mm. shifted. And that was when, I, I can't remember the year, I'm wanting to say it was like 2010, something like that. Huh. Massive ice storm hit, uh, um, hit the Midwest and Southeast, especially the uh, Western Kentucky area. And I would, it even went down to Tennessee, I think in Missouri, even Illinois, maybe that, that whole like tri-state region sure. shut everything down huh. um, for several weeks. Uh, in some places, some places didn't get power back for two months. Jeez. Um, at the time, I was going to college and I was an hour and a half away from uh, my family's property. And uh, I was like, oh yeah, no big deal because growing up it was never a big deal. Like tornadoes come through, like not a big deal. We're used to it. We live in a basement house built into the side of a cliff. Like yeah. we just go to the back of the house. Sure. If we lose everything, we lose everything. If we die, we die, but we're probably going to be just fine. <laughs> okay. Um, like it was no big deal to like go outside after a tornado and see the farm down the road with its silos like just gone. I remember seeing, uh, I remember just like two miles down the road. Um, there was a farmer and all of his silos were destroyed and there was a, uh, one of the pieces of sheet metal of the, of the yeah. silos was wrapped around a telephone pole like 15 or 16 times. It was, I, I still remember that like visual, like having, watching the guys like unspool it from, Dude. from the telephone pole. So that was just normal kind of being somewhat prepared and just, I guess, kind of acclimated to bad things happening. Jeez, um, man. but I think because I was so used to it when I got in college, I didn't really care because, it's, you know, it's always fine. It's always fine. Um, and then the ice storm hits yep. and everyone freaks out. There's no power. There's no water. There's nothing. Hmm. Now, the town that I was in, we had nothing for about a week. So I lived in my apartment at the time. Uh, I was not prepared at all. I remember I had a, uh, me and my roommate, we busted out candles and literally set candles um, on our coffee table and like warmed our hands wow, and, dude. uh, and like played on our laptops until, you know, they, they lost died. power. Yeah. Um, and eventually, uh, we kicked over to my aunt and uncle's house, which was just down the road in the town that I lived at because they had a fireplace mm. and that was all we needed. Yeah. It's like, Oh, they have a fireplace. Oh, they can cook food around that too if they have to. Wow. And so we were fine. But calling when we got phone service back, you calling back to my parents and asking like, Hey, how are you guys doing? Dad was like, well, we got the generator up and going. Uh, we have power to, you know, the necessities within the house. Oh, and this person, this person, this person, they showed up. So we're taking care of them right now. What had happened was, and it was a long story. This no, is a long way going. to answer your no, question. It's interesting. What had happened was when it hit so hard and so suddenly, yeah. um, all of my parents' friends, not all of my friends, parents' friends, but some of my parents' friends, who were woefully unprepared, mm -hmm. completely unprepared, when it became apparent that this is gonna last more than a couple days, yep. this is gonna last a month, oh. they got in their vehicle and drove as far as their, their car could take them yeah. on the icy roads, and we're talking a ton of ice, a ton of snow, yeah. everything's down, and they got to a point where they took their vehicle as far as it would go, and then they had to walk the rest of the way mm. to my parents' house. And when they were there, my parents put him to work like, hey, you know, it was like a mother and her son. And he's like, hey, you can work on this outside um, and you can help me out with this. And so he kind of like, I guess, became my dad's son for that week. For that week. Sure. But my parents essentially took these people in, wow. had enough food, had enough canned goods, um, had heat, had power and uh, and kind of you know, bridge that gap for several weeks until power started coming back on in the city. Sure. And still in some of the outskirts of the county, I mean, old people died. Wow. You know, um, uh, they didn't have heat. People froze. Yep. Um, it was really bad. But I remember calling back and being like, oh, they are, this is no big deal to them. Hmm. And it was no big deal to me, but I'm so used to ha I was so used to having that like preparedness safety net that my family had created. I didn't, I hadn't done that for myself. Yeah. And so that shifted a thing in me. And I remember that's where I started. Like I always had wool blankets in the house yep. or in the apartment after that. Yep. I always had, um, my, uh, um, uh, my Coleman lantern. Yep. We used to use oil lanterns. Sure. Uh, whenever I was a kid. So anytime the power went off, which was all the time, it was no big deal. We still had light. Um, 
So yeah, that Dude. changed it for me is making sure I had a couple little essentials, still not prepared. Right. But I had enough around to where I'd be fine for a week or two. Right. Dude, that concept is so foreign to me. I mean, picture uh, living in Portland, Oregon, they had such infrastructure already built up. But I'm sure it's the same for a lot of people in big cities where you don't have natural disasters that show up. I don't remember growing up and having power outages that lasted more than 24 hours. A full day without power was wild. That probably happened once every five years or something like that. So, you know, me getting married, having safety nets of parents around, both sets of parents, like mm -hmm. those concerns didn't really exist. If my wife and I had the need for something like power went out or um, water was never turned off, that was never a problem. Uh, we would just go talk to one of them and get help. And there is that, I mean, that kind of goes back to community, having family or other individuals around. But when I moved to Tennessee, <laughs> safety nets went away and now there's just different stuff going on in the world that I have to be concerned about. Mm -hmm. We move in Tennessee and we come out to the middle of nowhere. And now we're living on a farm, 300 acre farm, and there's really, other than the farmers themselves, there's no help around. You yeah. have to know some of those people. And I quickly realized, yeah, man, I moved here with a safe full of guns and a pallet of ammo. And I thought that I was rip-roaring, ready to go. I'm squared away. I got, some, I got a pair of wool socks if I need to hike somewhere. Dude, that's when it was like, these dirt bikes that we have, they're not just for fun anymore. If fuel starts to become a problem because... There's an ice storm that lasts for a week or a few weeks and fuel is not being trucked in. How am I going to get around? Mm -hmm. What's up with food? If I need to talk to a farmer about, so can we buy a full cow? We have to start building those relationships. And so for, I'm sure there are people just like you who started with, well, I grew up on a farm. I live in rural America. I live in Iowa and, and I don't have those, those personal preparedness concerns because I grew up with that, but they want to find gun stuff. So that's kind of goes back to the original point that we were trying to make, trying to connect the two. Mm -hmm. And then there's people like me that were like, I have never really thought about being self-reliant, but dude, I got the guns. I got the nods. I got, I got white lights on everything. I'm, I'm not good, but I'm decent with a rifle and a pistol. I'm squared away. And yeah. then all of a sudden you move somewhere else and you start to struggle through the I really am not ready. And for some reason, there's these two worlds where you have homesteading and dirt bikes and overlanding over here, and then you have the gun culture over on the other side. And it's like you're completely missing out on like, no, 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 we need to combine these two. We need to bring these two together. Mm -hmm. What do you got over there? LaCroix. Uh, Dude, yeah. I'd take a LaCroix. Oh, I'm my down. goodness. Specialist Nicholas Jones. Jones, Jonesy up in here. It's even somewhat Dude. chilled. A little, it is. It's a little how do you pronounce this? LaCroix? I've always called it LaCroix, but my yeah. dad says La Croix. <laughs> I think about like St. Croix, the uh, the island in uh, Virgin Islands. Yeah, St. Croix. I'm, I'm not... Here's I don't got a, enough richness in my blood to even know what that is. To shooting straight. Shooting straight? Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> Always. Always. <laughs> um, so here's a question. Okay. When you were in Portland, because Port, I mean, whenever I think of Portland, I don't think of a ton of preppers, right? Right. So what was more of a priority to you and was it even a priority? Hmm. Bugging in or bugging out? Bugging. Oh, gosh. My mindset and my wife and I had the plan to bug out. Mm -hmm. We had to get out of Portland. That being said, the plan, as was everyone else's plan, was, well, we're going to head west a little bit and go to the woods. <laughs> just anywhere. We're just going to relocate the city. Yeah. Everyone would just be going the same direction. It's mm -hmm. a horrible idea. So, yeah, I mean, the city's going to fall apart and something bad happens. Well, there's animals out there that we can shoot and eat. Um, it rains like crazy in Oregon, so there's going to be plenty of water out there if the water is contaminated in Portland. The problem, of course, is that if everyone's plan is, well, we'll just kind of bug out and go over that way. I mean, living in the suburbs, 
uh, I'd talk to a cop that, you know, would be walking his dog out and just be like, hey, so, you know, if something kind of goes bad during the riots in 2020, what are you guys thinking? And they're like, yeah, we're just going to head west about an hour and just kind of camp out in the woods. Everyone had the same idea. Yeah. And to be honest, bugging in would have been a better idea for my wife and I because we still had the ability to filter water at home. Mm -hmm. So if you have a Berkey and it's a large stainless steel piece that has good fil like water filtration systems yep. built into it, if COVID gets into the water or something like that, um, it would have been hard to take that to the city. If you need to collect rainwater for any reason, are you going to take a tarp? You have a roof over your head that is bigger than a tarp that you can buy. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless you go buy a massive tarp. And we can just collect water out of the gutters, yeah. right? Yeah. So we've built up a home. Think about going back to the 1700s. I mean, the house that we're in right now, part of the log cabin was built in the 1700s. Those people built a home so that they had a place to house their tools so that they could build more and insulate a house as best as they could at the time. We're still doing the same thing. We just have water and Wi-Fi and electricity and everything else just pumped into the home. So it yep. would have been harder on us while it was our plan. Now that I think about it, it would have been harder on us to leave because we would have had to pick and choose. That stays, that goes. How do you take your dog? How do you take kiddos? Are you going to take more fuel with you? Because I can keep more fuel in my garage. I can keep stored water in my garage, food, a deep freezer. If I have to run a generator or use a solar system to run to a battery, we have food at home. We would literally be leaving food at home because we had stockpiled stuff if we had chosen to bug out. Yeah. So it's really funny, the, uh, the ebb and flow of what's in and what's out. Yeah. So growing up, uh, or at least, you know, in my college years, in my young adult years, bugging out became the big thing, right? Like the Walking Dead TV show came sure. out, like, you know, The Road by Cormac McCarthy came out, yeah. like this, the, the whole like bugging out phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. It, it took the world by storm. It was really funny because um, to me, it was just like, no, I don't need to bug out. Like I, if I need to bug out of the city that I was living at the time, sure. well, I always keep I, I would always keep enough gas in my vehicle at the time that I knew that I could get back to my property in Kentucky right. where I could do whatever I want. I have all the animals I can kill. Yeah. I can harvest all the meat. Uh, I have a garden. Right. Farmers all around. Generator. We have you know creeks and streams all around. We can filter all the water. No big deal. Right. No big deal. And I I knew the back roads and I knew I knew every road, every highway like the back of my hand. I could drive it all with the lights off. Um, uh, I could, un, you know, unplug my, my daytime brights, uh, to where I could just drive at night. You know, I had it all figured out. Sure. So bugging out was like really cool and I was interested in it, but it, like, it wasn't a big thing. Right. And, and now that I have a family, it's like, okay, bugging out sounds like a stupid idea. We're just right. going to bug in. Right. But then and this kind of goes back to circumstance being the greatest teacher. Then you watch on the news, something like the Ohio train wreck and the vast oh. majority of people there probably we're not thinking about bugging out. Right. If something, and there are railroads still all across America, could have happened anywhere. Yep. Granted, way more likely in Ohio. Sure. No offense for Ohio <laughs> listeners and watchers. But, uh, you know, you look at something like that, yep. some, some black swan event, if you want to call it, completely out of left field. Right. And all of a sudden, people who were able to bug out to another area that had clean drinking water and air that wasn't going to, you know, cause you to form tumors right. in your lungs, yep. it becomes a thing. Yep. So yeah, it's really interesting that back and forth, you can't do one or the other. You almost have to have plans for both. Right. Yeah. And gun guys are always thinking, well, when red dawn happens, I'm going to go to the mountains like the kids did and, uh, you know, fight the Russians or who, whoever it may be from the mountains. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Right. It's good to have a plan or two. Um, what are you going to do with your family? Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. You can't just put a plate carrier on. I mean, it, even go to the military, fighting a 20-year war in uh, mountains and urban areas, they still had to have contingency plans as far as, great, what are we going to do for food? Mm -hmm. What are we going to do for water? What are we going to do for security? And when they got somewhere, they still erected a fob. Mm -hmm. They still had to have a structure where people slept and stayed. So if you are bugging out, 
in a perfect world, uh, you have, let's say that we're here in Tennessee, if we have to bug out, we have a home in Northern Florida that we're gonna go bug to, or South Carolina or something like that. Mm -hmm. We're going to go to a different structure. Where you're going to bug in, you're just relocating to stay put where you are and take care of yourself. And that absolutely is a contingency plan. Mm -hmm. But for myself, the idea was, we're gonna go build a log cabin in the woods. So you're just gonna go bug in somewhere else? Sure, maybe, that, that's, a, that's a fun idea. And maybe you could go do it with the boys every once in a while and, and practice that, that skill because it's a good skill to have. But the CQB video that just came out yeah. and then also the video that Estel just did uh, on Bear Solutions with protecting your home, those ideas. We spend so much time here. Okay, yeah, do you have water? Do you have food? You want to talk about gun stuff? Very valuable. Let's talk about that. Do you know how far you can see down the road to that stop sign where cars are turning in? Do you know how to set up a barricade? And I pray to God we never have to come to that here in America. But uh, what's that saying? Um, one of the founders said it. If, uh, if troubles do have to come, if wartime does have to happen, I pray that it happens in my lifetime so my kids don't have to endure it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, do you have a rangefinder? Can you tell how far away that house is over there? Can you tell where natural streams and rivers flow and where's the closest water source to your house? Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of questions that start to, now we're combining bugging in or bugging out, but really it's just, you like the idea of bugging out with all these cool gadgets and, and gear and everything else, but if it's all already in your garage and in your home, how do you start setting that up inside of your house to be more prepared? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's harder than sure. that's preparing for that and actually, you know, being well versed in that is way harder than just buying all the cool, like the top ten things you need to bug out. Right, like that's super easy right. and it's fun, like it's glamorous. It is, but when you get down to the reality of it, it's it's quite miserable. True, um, which we're going to touch on in a, in a future video, exactly. the reality of bugging out. And yes. <laughs> we won't give too much away, but like, it's uh, it's not a fun experience. No. And you can get a taste of it anytime you want, <laughs> uh, which we're going to get into. But um, I, to kind of go back to a story I was talking about earlier where we went to my, during the ice storm, yeah. me and my friends uh, went to my aunt and uncle's house. Yep. Here's what's kind of funny. Um, this kind of goes back to talking about how do you create a, a like a community of like-minded individuals, and really that's probably not a great title for that, because you don't just need a community of like-minded individuals. You just need, uh, at the end of the day, community in general is valuable, and here's why. So my aunt and uncle, I guess you you know yeah they're family. So I, I don't know if like they're kind of like default community. Sure. However, built in. yeah, exactly. However, we could not be more unalike. Sure. The vast majority of my family are flaming liberals, mm. flaming leftists. Sure. And I love them to death. Yeah. But we're on two completely different sides of the spectrum. Yep. Um, me and my mom and dad and and like one of my cousins, we are very rare in our family dynamic in mm. terms of how we think and what we do. Um, but when that ice storm hit, my aunt and uncle, without question, took me and all my buddies into their house. Wow. And they had a fireplace and they had food and they had, uh, they're, you know, they're big into plants and, and, and gardening and stuff like sure. that in their backyard. They had canned goods. Wow. They, they had all that stuff. Hmm. And if um, and if I didn't want to build a connection with my neighbor mm -hmm. because they're on a completely different side of the political spectrum than I am, and when push comes to shove and circumstances change in our world and we need each other, you know, all, all the political stuff goes out the window. Right. It goes out the window. Yep. And so it's really valuable to build relationships with people that aren't necessarily like you. Um, so that when that does happen, you're not having to start a relationship from scratch. Right, yep. So agreed. Well, we said that this was going to be a uh, gun, uh, gear, and training talk. And we touched on that a little bit. To wrap this up some, can you give me your list and I'll give you mine. What are some things that someone should invest in? We're talking financially. Mm -hmm. What should someone 
let's say it's a 18 to 21 year old male who has been interested in guns but just acquired their first Glock 19 and they're getting ready to carry or they just started carrying. Mm-hmm. What are some other tools and items? We can talk rifles, build towards night vision, a uh, certain amount of ammo to have on hand, guns and gear, and firearm products themselves. What are some items that you feel like you don't need three of those, mm-hmm. you need one of those? Make sure you have mags. What, what items come to mind as far as like prioritize this? Honestly, they don't need a lot. They need a whole lot less than what we think we do. Right. I know it sounds bad, might, might sound weird, but um, you need dedicated training ammo. Mm-hmm. dedicated training ammo and then another stockpile of ammo that is like your your carry ammo yep and i would say two guns bare minimum two guns you have a glock and a rifle um and if you're going to go beyond that two glocks two rifles right once you push past that you're getting into the realm of having more things than you're even able to train with sure and there's nothing wrong with that believe me i have way more than just that and i love my other guns yeah it's great i have a great time with them they all have a specific purpose and everything but if you're talking like bare minimum pistol rifle training ammo carry ammo um, but that's just to be honest all that stuff if you have a gun and if you have ammo probably the most valuable thing you can do is has nothing to do with the gun right has nothing to do with the gun yep if you think about the things that humans need to survive it's food water shelter and the fourth one is security right so the security one is super easy to check off compared to the others sure Um, it's not glamorous to go out and spend you know sixty dollars on bottled water and it's there's nothing cool about that yeah but at the end of the day that can take care of you for a month. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, it's not glamorous to spend, you know, $200 on freeze-dried foods yep. or $500. There's nothing fun about that. Right. But you have it. Yes. And so I would say that's probably the lower-hanging fruit. Right. And once you get it, you can just sit on it. Right. And then you can go back to the gun stuff. Exactly. Be. Yep. Yep. What about you? I would probably stress so many people think that they need... 10,000 rounds a year to get good with a gun. 10 of 9 mil and 10 of 5.56. And if you want to be a competition shooter, that may be a part of it. Sure, absolutely. And if you're shooting distance, you probably need to send some rounds downrange. Mm -hmm. But if we're talking about getting good with your concealed carry pistol and maybe a handheld or a weapons mounted light, and you're getting proficient at keeping your home safe, we're talking peacetime at the moment, you're keeping your home safe with a rifle. I'm probably not, probably not going to be taking 500 yard shots from my house uh, during peacetime with my rifle. Mm-hmm. So dry fire, and I got really good. I need to get back on that train. I've kind of fallen off, but you should. You want to know why? Why? Because one of the trends that I've noticed mm. within the gun world, at least the online gun world, sure. is hot topics that come and go. Mm. So back whenever you and I first started doing all this stuff, yeah. the big thing was drawing from concealment and putting rounds on target in under a second, the whole draw process, all of that stuff. Yeah. No one talks about that anymore. Right. You want to know why? why? Because they're like, oh, everyone already knows this. <laughs> and if someone were to start making fresh content. concealed carry content, yep. People would jump into the comment sections like, yeah, no, duh, of course, of course I know. But there are millions of new gun owners and millions of those people are on Instagram. They're on Facebook. They're on YouTube. And uh, sure, they can go back and watch old content on YouTube. But why is the thing that's most important to them, which is how to carry your handgun, how to draw from it, and maybe some standards you should shoot for uh, to get rounds on target as soon as possible, what if that was popping up as the new thing to them? Right. Right? It's That's true. These, these skill sets, these, these base level, yeah. like fundamental skill sets get forgotten about because they're old news to all of us who are in the content creation world. Totally. So yep. that, you just reminded me of that. That's a good point. Yeah, man. Well, we have, uh, we have more content that we've got to go capture today and yep. run a little bit of a crunch time. But... Thank you for sitting down and, and chatting about this a little bit. Do you have any final thoughts you want to throw out there? Well, yeah. So, so 
by this point, our CQB uh, that every civilian should know video has dropped. Right. And I know we talked about this to some of our Patreon subscribers is that we kind of gave them a heads up. Like, hey, most of this is not fresh stuff. Right. Especially if you're like tuned up in the gun world, you've seen most of this stuff. If you've ever taken a CQB class, you've you've learned this stuff. Yes. yes. But um, that is not that is not what we're trying to do. That's also like kind of one of those things that's been blown past. We're trying to get back to the basics for people who, at this point, there's so much CQB information out there, <laughs> yeah. no one knows where to start. Right. And it, they think that the maybe the first the most attractive thing to them is watching this video of six guys, you know, clear a villa. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's sure. super dope. And if that's what gets them hooked and that's what gets them wanting to start learning more, awesome. awesome. Love it. I love that crap. I can watch it all day long. Yeah. But there has to be something fresh, even if it's old news to us, a fresh presentation of these basic level things um, for people who are just getting into it. Yep. So um, well, I, I think a lot of the people who have watched this, who have watched the CQB video at this point, I don't know because it's not out, you know, right now as we're filming this, um, they're gonna be like, if they're from the gun community, it's like, okay, I kind of know a lot of this stuff. This is a nice refresher, a nice little realistic refresher on what, you know, what is real. Yeah. Um, but it's not for them. Right. Well, and another point that's worth mentioning is, it doesn't matter if we're talking baseball, piano, tennis. Uh, driving a car, the people who are most proficient do the fundamentals the best. Yes. And they have the fundamentals ingrained so much that it's like brushing their teeth. Mm -hmm. They don't have to think about any of the steps. It just happens without mm -hmm. thinking about the order of operations. And sometimes when you see a video on CQB, even if you know a ton of this stuff already, when someone says something a little bit different, it may help you take a step further down into the fundamentals because mm -hmm. they're still just the basics, right? Yeah. And a better understanding leads you into, I'm still just doing the basics, but I can do them better now. Yep, yeah. yep. And there's definitely value in having fresh content that's both basic and super advanced right. because sometimes you have to get tossed into the deep end to realize you don't know how to swim. Oh, dude, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like sometimes you need to go and watch that intricate, crazy, you know, special forces CQB video and then go and try that stuff with your friends and realize you suck at all of it. Right. It's way too much for you to process. But, oh, look, there's this basic CQB video that just came out. Maybe I should go watch that. Maybe I should go take a class. Yeah. Like it is... It should not be either or. Right. It's got to be both. Right. You've got to have people putting out uh, basic stuff in a fresh way, and you've got to have people putting out advanced stuff in a fresh way, yep. and that's the perfect combination. And we're not the guys to do the advanced stuff. Sure. Like, we can fake it, we can make it look cool, right. and we kind of understand some of that stuff, but that's not... There's other people that can do that better than us. Right, and if we do start getting into it, it's going to take bringing other people in. Yep. So if we're going to talk about sear stuff mm -hmm. bugging out we're gonna have to go to a sear specialist in mm -hmm. order to have that kind of conversation hmm. interesting yeah we may know one <laughs> or two yeah 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 cool well thank you everyone for watching those of you who have jumped in we hope you guys appreciate some of this content uh if you guys have any questions or you need to reach out to us in regards to helping out or supporting us or just clarifying questions anything of that nature you can reach us at team at dirtycivilian.com.